You're listening to a teaching from Sundown Church. We hope you encounter God through our podcast and experience freedom in your life. Well, we're uh, sorry we missed last week. It was just a... Staff had a lot going on, and we just needed to be with family. We didn't need to be here because we weren't going to be here. We were going to be mentally somewhere else. So I had a wife that had had food poisoning the night before and didn't need to be surrounded by three children. And uh, Melissa had some stuff going on, a kiddo not feeling well. And so anyway, so we, we were gone, and um, but we're happy to be back. This will be the second to last teaching on this stuff. We will, we will conclude next week, our prayer and worship series. Um, and I was thinking about it today. I kind of got a little choked up just because this has been such a delightful series for me. I've, I've enjoyed this so, so much. Um, the depth of understanding that the Lord has uh, allowed us to enter into has just been profound uh, for me and my personal walk with him and just in my life and in my leadership as pastor, it's, it's just transformed a lot of these things. And I'm really excited for what the future holds. Our, our discovery on these two things doesn't end because we stop having a series on it, right? Because it's all about relationship. And we'll talk about that more next week. But um, one of the reasons that we are coming to a stopping point, uh, there's a natural stopping point. We've been in this for uh, almost a year but we're coming to a stopping point because there's just a, a great need for us to be in the community active on Wednesday nights. The Kindness Project is just going to need to, we're going to need to get going again. There's primarily with the daycare. There's just a lot of stuff that we need to take care of. And now that we've got the daylight, we're uh, hopefully going to have some calmer days uh, where we're not getting blown away. Um, but we'll have daylight, we'll have warmth, and so we can knock out a bunch of this stuff and just take a lot off Melissa and Sarah's plate and getting this daycare ready. Because um, our goal is to have it ready by June so that we can have the state sign off on it, and then we can start getting everybody enrolled. Um, but we can't do that until the state signs off. And so there's just some stuff that we're going to do, and I'm excited for those nights. We'll have some fellowship out there. We'll get our hands dirty and, and enjoy time together. So I'm, I'm excited about that. That'll be in uh, three weeks uh, is when we'll start all that. So excited about that. And we'll talk about it more on Sundays as well. But anyways, just some review from two weeks ago. Praise is a fruit of relationship. We know this. We've talked about this uh, several times. And praise, and I'm talking about the, the actual expression of praise. Uh, it aligns our hearts. It's what we do on Sunday mornings before we preach. And why we do it before we engage with the Word is such an important thing to consider. Uh, I don't know that I've ever considered the, why there's a routine. Because a routine always gets started with purpose, and then it ends up just being a, a mundane thing that you do without thinking about it because it's become routine. But why did the routine ever start? Why did we as Christians, in the construct of, of a Sunday worship service, a Sunday morning service, as we gather together, why did we always start with worship, with praise and worship? Because it aligns our hearts with His. So it gets me into this position to where now I am ready to receive the word that he has for me this morning. Praise is crucial. Praise is powerful. Um, it's, it, it positions us for a fresh outpouring. And all that any of these messages are, 
on Sunday mornings are to be fresh outpouring, new revelation and knowledge and wisdom coming from the Lord. And it all praise all of this is coming out of a relationship. The actions in our lives, including praise, is meant to come from this place of relationship. And praise, what we talked about two weeks ago, is not to be thought of as an obligation. We, we've, I've had conversations with people about this, and it just perplexed me because I just, you've totally missed it. But uh, they, they'll, and we, I'm sure we all know people like this that will arrive late to church because there's just, ah, you know, I, I'm, I'm, here for, I'm here for the word. It's like, man, you're, you're going to miss so much of this if you don't participate in what comes before it. Because what comes before it is found within these pages. How can you exclude it? It's not a buffet. But we've treated church as a buffet, right? I knew people in college that liked a praise and worship team from one church and then liked a pastor from another. And so they would go to praise and worship. They would get in their car and then they would drive over and they would listen to a pastor. That has been how we have done church. If, if kids are doing it, they've seen it modeled, right? So uh, it's... Uh, it's, it's important for us to recognize that praise is not an obligation, but praise is a response to his heart towards you. It is not an obligation. We are made for him. We are not slaves to him. Romans 8, this was one of the main passages that we read two weeks ago. Romans eight fifteen through 17 says, if I can find it, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are his children. We are not his slaves. So when we, pr- when we praise out of an obligation because we feel like we have to praise and it praise of our lives is not an expression of, a fruit of relationship, but rather it's an obligation. When we do that, we are praising from a place of bondage, and that is not praise unto the Lord. If I'm praising out of a feeling of I've got to, I have to do this because it's, it's what I'm supposed to do, you're praising with a spirit of slavery, not, as, not a spirit of adoption as sons and co-heirs. Sons and daughters co-heirs with Christ. That is not what you're praising from, and that is not an offering of praise to the Lord. That is not anything that He desires to receive from us. And we must also remember that He needs nothing from us to sustain Himself. So, what does that tell me? If He needs nothing from me to sustain Him in His identity and His purpose, He needs absolutely no validation from me. How can praise be an obligation? How can praise be an obligation? He doesn't need it, He doesn't need it from me. So it can't be an obligation. So we just dismiss that right now. It's meant to be a fruit of relationship. A parent does not require validation from their child to be able to continue to being their parent. There are days, there are times, there have been moments with my own kids. I don't know where they learn this, but it seems like it's just like, I don't know, I don't know where it comes from, but uh, I, 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 saw it in, in my household when I was a kid, and I've seen it in my kids now. They're, they're, they get frustrated, or they get in trouble, or they're getting disciplined, or whatever. And what is, You're a bad daddy, 
or you're a bad mom. I hate you. It's like, are you done? <laughs> Whatever, I don't, I don't care. But it, it, it just goes in one ear and right out the other because it's just a little kid. I mean, we correct those things because we don't speak that, that way. Uh, we don't speak death, but it, I don't need that. Because they said that, I'm not, well, I guess I can't be his dad anymore. No, I don't need his validation to continue to be his father. Not at all, right? Oftentimes in those moments, you find yourself in those moments because you're, you're being the parent they need you to be, right? But a parent, again, does not require validation from their child to continue to be their parent. But we get caught viewing God like this, that he needs my validation. He needs my praise to remain God. No, he doesn't need anything from us. He doesn't need anything from us. In reality, who needs the praise? Who needs the encouragement? Who needs the validation? It's the child, and that is us. We are made to praise God. There is absolutely no question about that. We are made for Him. All things are made for Him and through Him. And what does that include? That includes praise. But we are not made to praise out of an obligation. Praise is meant to be an expression of my relationship with Him. And when you praise from that place, it is an addicting thing. I love expressing my love towards him for what he's done. He is moving and he is stirring and I can feel it. I can feel the spirit of God moving in West Texas right now. I can feel the stir. The, the way I've described it to so many different people, uh, it's just, it feels like the drawing out of water before a massive wave comes in. It just, the water is stirring. The sand is stirred up. Everything is stirring because something big is consuming it and getting ready to come. And I can feel that. And I, I can feel that stirring. And that, what does that do? It causes praise. And what does that do? That causes a further stirring, right? Because it's an expression. I'm excited for what the Lord is doing. Just in, just in this week, it's only Wednesday, there is testimony of profound and amazing things that the Lord is doing. And it is so exciting. And what does the, what's the natural byproduct? Praise. That, that, that is its design. It is a fruit of expression of love, towards him. That's all it's ever meant to be. And then it blesses us in so many ways beyond what we ever thought it could be. We are made to praise God. But at the same time, we are also made to receive praise from him. And for some reason that is taboo and that would almost be considered blasphemous in some churches. The church I grew up at, if I got up in the pulpit and I said that, I wouldn't finish the sermon before I got run out of there. There's just no way because we're only here for him, period. That's our viewpoint. It's a master slave mentality, but I'm not a slave. I'm a son. And you tell me what son thrives without the validation of his father. There's not one. There's absolutely not one. Why do we have so many issues coming out of single mother homes? So many young boys. A majority of, of, of the of, uh, young males incarcerated came from single mother homes. What was missing? That male, the validation of a father, the encouragement, the pushing, the, the guidance of a father. We, we, are, we are made to praise him, but we are also made to receive praise from him. No parent in here would withhold praise uh, towards their kids, if there's an opportunity to praise them, then we praise them. I mean, there have been times where I'm just driving and we're not doing anything and it's just, it strikes me 
how profound and amazing my kids are, and I'll just start telling them, right? All of us, this is not an uncommon thing. It's not like Parker's inventing this. This is parents everywhere that love their kids, that are involved with them. They, they never waste an opportunity to praise their children for just being who they are. So why is it such a stretch to receive praise from our perfect heavenly Father? Why? Why? One of the most profound things, I would see Randy have this conversation with people over and over and over again, and it was amazing to witness. They would, he would talk to them and say, you know, just imagine you put your kid or put your grandkid in your lap. What are you going to begin to say about them? And they have no issues saying beautiful and amazing things. And he says, now, imagine God has placed you in his lap. What is he going to say to you? And they want to start saying the negative things. But they find themselves in this place of, how can I say the negative things when me, an imperfect person, would not speak negative things over the people I love? How can a perfect father speak negativity over me? It's not possible. It's not in him. It's not in his nature because if you have been crucified with Christ and risen with Christ and it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me, what does Jesus or what does the Lord, what does the heavenly father see when he looks at you? He sees the sacrifice, the perfect blood of his son that covers you. It's all he sees. He sees Jesus in you. He sees his spirit. He sees his heart. How could he speak negative things about himself? Because are we not a piece of him? Are we not a piece of his heart? Individually members of this body, this bride of Christ? Is he, is he going to speak negative things about that which he makes his appeal through? Absolutely not. It's impossible. Before Jesus began ministry, the Father praised him. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We look at that and we, we read. That's one of those things. We talked about this a couple of times. We've got to stop just reading Scripture. We've got to actually... Let the words penetrate the way they need to penetrate because just this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus hasn't done a single thing yet, but be obedient to the point of baptism. And the father is pleased with him and has given him the entirety of heaven. He praised Jesus. He gave him validation. He gave him validation before Jesus ever did a single thing. All he did was step into the water. That's all he did. <clears throat> Praise and identity. And Jesus says in, in John 16, 13, that the spirit will lead you into all the truth. And that includes truth about who you are and what you're doing. Praise is validation. It validates. If, if I think I'm in an, like if I think, just as an, a silly example, if I think I'm an okay welder, um, and someone comes up to me and they say, hey, man, you're really good at this. What is that going to do to how I view myself doing this task? It's going to elevate it completely. I told, I told you guys about, I gave a little testimony about this when we started talking about it a couple weeks ago. Uh, I just got a random text. Randy uh, Winfrey, uh, mentor, one of my dearest friends, somebody I hold in the highest regards. I just, I, I love this man. Uh, I, I am only here today because of him and what the Lord did through him uh, on my behalf. And so he texts me just out of the blue and just says, uh, I'm proud of you. I thought about how, how proud I am of you this last week. And I was just wondering why it hit me so randomly. And 
he said, the Spirit told him, because I'm proud of him too. And I'm telling you right now, I'm still, I'm still on that high horse. You're not getting me off of it. That two of the men I love the most, the Holy Spirit and Randy Winfrey, said they're proud of me as, as a pastor. So what does that do in me leading this church and shepherding these people and, and, and pursuing the Lord? It only pushes me deeper into it. Right? It only spurs me to be more fervent, more, more, more zealous, and, and more on fire for what the Lord is doing. The validation that comes with receiving praise from the Heavenly Father boosts us into new and beautiful things. Doors that we would not have walked through without that validation. And I wonder how many Christians are stuck because they refuse to receive the praise that the Lord seeks to offer. And that is the very thing that will send them into the next stage. We must allow Him to speak over us. We are allowing the truth of who we are to grow deeper in our hearts and our lives every time we allow Him to speak praises over us. And this is a good thing. All of this is held within having, again, a right relationship with our Father. All, you, you don't access this, you don't understand this if you have an, uh, an improper, an incorrect relationship with the Lord, and you can have that. One wrong belief, one false belief, one, one lie about the Father in this relationship is skewed, right? Living for Him and unto Him. Because I love him and he loves me. I trust his word and I trust his faithfulness. This is right relationship. But to get there, to get to this friendship, I, I call the Lord. The Lord is my friend. He's my best friend. But I don't just get to be friends with the Lord of lords and king of kings and creator of the universe. I have to go through some things to get to that place, right? And we're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. This has been... Something, uh, this happens a lot. I, I, I teach multiple times a week. I, I counsel multiple times a week. And a lot of times, I, the words are just going to all be together. It's, they're going to have a lot of similarity. And uh, as, as you guys saw, with the main service on Sunday mornings and some of the Wednesday night stuff, we were just going to talk about praise. We just had to. There's no getting away from it. And one of the things that we're going to spend some time with, uh, st- some time in t- tonight, this evening, and Sunday morning is the lordship of Jesus and his lordship over my life. If I desire to have deep relationship with God, correct relationship, to be able to receive his praise over me and be able to have my praise be an actual manifestation of fruit, a fruitful manifestation of my love and deep relationship that I have with him, to have, have correct understanding of prayer, to live a life of worship, which is a life of obedience, to understand all of these things that we've talked about over the last 10 months. For all of that to be, I have to say yes to the lordship of Jesus over my life. I absolutely have to say yes. That is the, the door that we must walk through. We talked about this a few Sundays ago uh, in prayer and worship. We know that they are an expression of, and they are, an, they are, excuse me, they are an expression and reflections of relationship with the Lord. So the image of these two become muddy when there is not right relationship. If prayer and worship is a reflection of my relationship with God, and I have false beliefs about God, or have things in my life that are not of God that are established in me that rule and reign my life then prayer and worship is going to look muddy 
it's not going to look like the way the Lord intended it to look. You're going to have things like, well, uh, I don't pray out loud. Or I'm not comfortable with that. Or uh, I, I show up late to church because the worship's really not my thing. I'm just here for the word, right? These things get muddy. We have a lack of understanding. We think we have an understanding, but we have a lack of understanding. Um, with these things, they get muddy when we do not have right relationship. And the most common reason that I have found for not having a right relationship with the Lord is that we deny His Lordship in our stories. We seek to live for Him. We seek to do His will, to do the works that He would have us do while, being, while sitting on the throne of my own life. I sit on the throne and then I try to live for, for God. How many know that's not going to work? That's not how it works. And out of, that, out of that model, what do we get? We get a lot of activity. We get a lot of things just trying to earn the favor of the Lord, trying to earn the kingdom, trying to establish different things through our effort and not through the release of vision and, and revelation. The most common reason that we have uh, incorrect relationship, muddy prayer life, muddy worship life, is because we deny His Lordship over our lives. And then, from that place, we try to have a relationship. If you are in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If this is you, if Christ is your Lord and Savior, then this is you. This is the funny thing. I had this conversation with Randy as well. If that's true about you, then that's always true about you. We have this tendency to believe if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. It's like, sweet, I'm a new creation all the time. The old has passed away. You can't have part A with part B, without part B. But we like to leave out that part, right? Well, I can, I can live my life the way I'm living it and be a new creation. And that's not possible. How can a new thing do that of an old thing, a dead thing. How can a dead thing have life? It can't, right? It can't. It's illogical. But if this is us, if you believe that Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you are a new creation. The old has passed away and behold, the new has come. It is no longer your life. I have died. And what was there when I was brought up out of the grave? I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I, Parker, is dead. When I said yes to Jesus, I died. And now Christ is living this life in me. He is living this life in me. It is no longer my life. And that is, that is a restoration to the design. And unfortunately, we have this, we have this view that it is, it is limiting that if it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, for some reason we, we feel like that is going to produce a less than life. That's the, that's the, we don't talk about that, but that's kind of the thought that we've all had that now I feel restricted. I feel limited. That is a lie. Because you now carry the presence of the all-living, all-knowing God. He calls your body His temple. He dwells in you. He says that you are His hands and feet. The creator of the sun, moon, and stars, 
the ever-expanding universe, with, his, with the exhale of his nostrils, he destroyed the Egyptians. This God now dwells in you. Tell me how that's limiting on what you can do and your purpose and your identity and the things that you can do. He formed you. He formed us. This is another thing that we need to get. We need to understand that he formed us for this purpose, that he would fill us. He formed us so that he could fill us. Jeremiah 1.5 says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. He formed you. You did not form you. He formed you. 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 15 verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. He rose and he defeated the grave. And the victory that we live in is his victory. It is not my victory. He has brought me into victory. Just like this covenant that the Lord made with Abraham, he really made with himself. He has invited us into this covenant and he has invited us into this victory. To claim this victory as our own. He goes out, there's a, oh goodness, I just forgot the name of the song. Uh, it's, I, it's called Defender. But there's this line, it's a beautiful line, it says, you go out and you defeat my, en- my enemies and you come back and you claim the victory as mine. That's what the Lord does. He goes out and does all the fighting, destroys your enemies, and then says, this is your victory. This is what he invites us into victory. He claims it and he speaks it over us, but it is not anything that we earned or fought for ourselves. He brings us into this victory. He brought us into it. I didn't earn it and I didn't achieve it. We are dead without him. So how can, this has been a question that I've, I've been thinking about a lot. How can dead things bring life? How can a dead man bring life to another man? He can't. It's not a possible thing. It's impossible. Dead things only produce dead things. That's all they do. Dead things only make dead things. Christ makes us alive. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 says, These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except for the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept these things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but it is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Christ makes us alive. He is the only thing. His victory, his death, his resurrection, we are invited into all of these things. Why are we talking about this? We're talking about this because, and and then we read 1 Corinthians 2, because we can't even know him without him. We can't know the heart of God without the spirit of God. 
I can't do any of this without him. So how on earth? Because I did not form me, he formed me. I did not win victory for me, he won victory for me. And I cannot know this God and understand this God unless he imparts this revelation and wisdom to me. So how can I be the Lord of my life when I have done nothing to save it? I've done nothing. I didn't even create myself. I didn't give myself breath. I didn't give myself life. I didn't, I didn't destroy all, of, all of the consequences of my sins. I didn't go and defeat the grave. And I didn't go to the Lord and understand His heart. He's done all of that for us. So who are we to be Lord of our lives? Because what we can see here is that you don't have a life without Him. But how can you again? Look at the design. All things were made for Him and through Him. You're not meant to, life, meant to have a life depart from Him. You're meant to have a life with Him. That is the only place we ever have life. So to be Lord of your lives, is, you're just tricking yourself. You're putting, you're putting flowers on a dead thing. It doesn't make it less dead. And what will it produce in your story? How many of us have put ourselves on the throne and seen the result of that and it's not great? I've done it time and time and time again. And the result is always the same. Death, destruction, turmoil, strife, division, doubt, fear. All of the things that we're not meant to walk in, when I set myself on the throne of my life, are the very things that I begin to walk in. Because we cannot live this life without Him. Because it's the only way that we were ever designed and created to live this life. Again, it's, it's, it's the design. If my, my kids get a remote control car, battery-powered remote control car, what's going to be in the instructions? Don't put it in water. If you want to keep using it, don't put it in water. So if my kids go out and throw it in the pool and get upset that it doesn't work, you didn't pay attention. It was not made for that purpose. It had another purpose, but you ignored it. And what did you do? Because you've ignored it, you destroyed it. We were created with purpose. And that was to be filled with the living and dwelling presence of God and establish His kingdom here on earth. I got to have a, a wonderful conversation with a young man about this uh, this week. As we were just talking about heaven, said so the beautiful thing about heaven is that we don't have to wait to get there. We get to establish it here right now. He didn't, he didn't die and suffer on the cross and send us the Holy Spirit that we could one day go to heaven. That's a, that's a small piece of it. But it was that heaven could be released into us and through us upon this earth. We cannot do anything on our own. At the moment of Jesus' baptism, what is found? Obedience to the will of God, saying yes to His Lordship. This is praise unto the Lord. This is worship unto the Lord. And this sets Jesus up for a right relationship with God. We see a beautiful relationship laid out for us by Jesus uh, from this moment on that shows us the depth of His understanding of the Father's heart and His, His true fervent love for the Lord. As we read in Scripture several times that He would depart from everyone and just be with the Father. This was important to Him. We see the depth and the importance of relationship. 
And we see a correct relationship displayed by Jesus. And it all started because he said yes to his lordship over his life. Right there at that, at that the moment, right before baptism, he had an opportunity to establish himself as Lord. When John the Baptist said, you should be baptizing me. I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, we need to do this as it was foretold, as it has been prophesied to make, make true of all scripture. He said yes to the lordship of the father. And so much opened up from that place. But one of the most important things, especially in relation to our conversation on praise and worship, is that that opened the door for a correct understanding of the Father's heart towards Him and right relationship that would navigate Him and lead Him into great and wondrous things. But it all started with a yes to the Lordship of God. If, if I have a son who refuses to be obedient, we will not ever have a good, healthy relationship. We won't. One of the worst things is a dad. It, it happens every now and then when they just get in these ruts where it just feels like you're constantly on your kid. You're just like, like saying no. And it's like, God, oh my gosh, how many times have I told this kid no today? That's all they know from me is no. But they're learning what obedience is, right? They're learning to respect the authority. They're learning these things so that one day we can have right relationship. My father, this is, this is one of the, it's just a, a brings me a great deal of joy and, and uh, just pride. Um, but my father stood up there with me at the altar when I, when I married my wife. He stood right next to me. He wasn't sitting next to my mom. My father and my brother were standing right next to me because he was and is one of my greatest and best friends. But we didn't get there because he tried to be my friend. We got there because he taught me how to respect his authority over my life and to respect his, the, his lordship over my story because the Lord gave me to him to steward. It was his job to steward and, and, to, and to lead me and to shape me as a young man. And so that started with me understanding how to say yes and be obedient to respect his authority over my story. And in doing that, what came was a friendship, a deep and profound friendship where I know his heart towards me and he knows my heart towards him. But that can only come when we say yes to the lordship of the father over our story. And he is the one that sits on the throne of our lives because it is his life at the end of the day. It is his life. It's all about setting him on the throne of my life, not myself. This is worship. And now, from that place, I can have a right a relationship with him. To understand prayer and worship, he has to be... Um, oh my goodness, I can't read my writing. Huh. I have no idea. But to understand prayer and worship correctly, he has to be Lord over my story. If he's not Lord over my story, I will never understand the things of God. I can live my life for him to the best of my ability, attend church and every service that there is, every Bible study that comes across my way. But if he is not the Lord of my life, I'll miss everything. His lordship is everything in this season.
the Lord is seeking to establish himself again on the throne of his children's lives. Not so that he can press us down. He desires our obedience. He desires to sit in the lordship and the place of lordship over our stories because he wants us to take up his authority. He desires signs and wonders. He desires to see miracles flow. The Lord desires these things, but they cannot come if there is not authority. And you cannot have authority if you have not said yes to his lordship. It's everything. It will transform our prayer. It will transform our worship. Worship is the denying of self to say yes to what he has. That's worship. Not my life, yours. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What does that statement hold? He is Lord, I am not. When we live like that, we take up his authority. And we'll talk about this more on Sunday. We're getting into the Sunday's message a little bit. But when I say yes to his lordship, I get to step into his authority. Right? No one takes a, takes a prince seriously that does not listen to his father. But the prince that does the will of his father is taken seriously by everyone. And so it is for us. But we first must say yes to his lordship and enter into a position of correct and right relationship. Thanks for listening to this message. For more resources, visit sundownchurch.com.